You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you uh, today. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Reed, and I'm one of the pastors uh, here at The Brook. Had the privilege of joining the staff back at the beginning of the year, and uh, so I'm delighted to have the opportunity to uh, share God's Word uh, with you today. I know that I've had the chance to meet many of you, uh, but for uh, since this is my first time uh, preaching here, allow me just to quickly introduce myself and my family. Um, I've uh, been married now for almost 11 years. My beautiful wife, Sarah, is sitting right over there. Uh, so I'll tell you about our story in just a moment. But uh, what I'll go ahead and let you know about her is that she is absolutely the better half of our relationship. You are going to find that out uh, very quickly. I did what every man hopes to do. I married up. So I found a girl who was way out of my league, and I somehow convinced her to say yes and I don't quite know uh, how I pulled that off, but that might be uh, the greatest, uh, greatest achievement that I have so far in life is somehow convincing her to say yes. So uh, we were married on 07, 07, 07. So uh, I have no excuse to ever forget my anniversary. Uh, but don't worry, we were not the crazy people who went all out that day. Uh, there were some people who had seven bridesmaids and seven groomsmen, and they were married at 7.07 p.m. There were people who, like, they went all in. And uh, that was not us. Uh, we were married at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and July 7th was not actually even our original plan. We were going to actually try to get married the week before, and for whatever reason, it didn't end up working out. And so we bumped it back a week, and when we did, all of a sudden, we were like, what in the world is going on? It's like every single thing is booked, every DJ, every florist, every venue, every caterer, like everybody's got somebody on the schedule already. And then we realized what we had done. We had just accidentally picked the most superstitious day of all time uh, to get married. So that's our story. Also by now, um, you've probably seen a few extra kids uh, run around the church. Um, we've got three. We have Liam, Levi, and Ava Grace. They are seven, five, and three, and they are a joy. So uh, for those of you who serve in our children's ministry, I'm sure you've had a chance to spend some time with them. They are wonderful kids. And uh, very grateful uh, just to be their dad. That's been a blessing for sure. Uh, well, let me tell you just uh, three quick facts about me. You're going to learn this uh, eventually anyway, so I might as well just share some of it with you now. Uh, number one, I love being a pastor. You're going to find out real quick that, um, man, this is just a, a, a wonderful thing. I, I've absolutely enjoyed every moment of being in full-time ministry, and I'm so grateful uh, just to have the chance to, to serve on staff at this wonderful church, uh, just to be a part of what God is doing here at the Brook. So thank you guys for giving me the opportunity uh, to, for our family to join the church family. That's absolutely been a blessing. Uh, number two, I love to shoot sporting clays. So if I ever win the lottery, this will probably be how I spend every free second of my time. So uh, some people like to golf. Some people like to run. Um, I like to shred clay targets with my Browning 12-gauge. So that is a, a, a blast, no pun intended. So, uh, But it's awesome. It is so much fun. If you've ever done it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's probably not a better way to spend a few hours on a Saturday. And uh, number three, let me go ahead and get this out there too. Uh, I absolutely love college football. And I will go ahead and tell you, I think it's the greatest sport of all time. And I am well aware that I have entered into hostile territory. 
Okay, so uh, I am a Georgia fan, and I have been uh, my entire life. So I got people laughing at me for being a Georgia fan. What in the world? So uh, that's okay. That's all right. Um, but some of my earliest memories in life are me cheering for the dogs with my family as a little kid, and uh, they'll always be my team. And uh, as some of you have also probably learned, my wife graduated from Alabama. So uh, you can imagine that this last national championship was brutal for me. So absolutely Brutal, but that's all right. Uh, I'll just keep saying what every Georgia fan has said for all eternity. Next year is our year, so that's uh, that's the plan. Well, listen, guys, that's enough about me. Y'all did not wake up early this morning to hear me talk about sporting clays and Georgia football. Uh, y'all woke up early because you wanted to hear from God's word, and so uh, my plan this morning is for us to to spend our time in our next passage and for us to make much of the name of Christ. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing in our series in Colossians. So if you have your Bible with you, let me encourage you to join us in Colossians chapter 2. Today, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 16 through 23. Now, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. So if you're using a, an app on your phone um, or on your tablet, uh, feel free to set your translation to the NIV. That way, our translations match. Uh, and if you... Um, just want to use a Bible, that's fine. If you don't have a Bible with you, I know there's some Bibles kind of scattered around the church. Feel free to grab one of those. You can take it home with you as well. And uh, also, if you are using the YouVersion Bible app, uh, that's a specific Bible app that most of you probably use. Uh, we're actually going to try something for the very first time today, so this will be new. Um, but when you open that up, if you've got that app on your phone, when you open it up at the bottom right-hand corner, uh, there's a button that says More. If you click on More and bring up a whole other set of options for you, you'll see events. If you click on events, today's service is listed as a live event, and from there you'll be able to follow along with our outline. We've got all of our scripture, all of our fill-in-the-blanks. You can add in notes. It's really great. So, uh, so by being here today, you get to test that out with us uh, for the very first time. A very, very easy way to kind of track along with what we're doing. But if you're old school and you like to use pen and paper, feel free to do that as well. Uh, hopefully you've got our handout um, when, you, uh, when you came through the doors. All right, well, as we begin our time together this morning, I want to ask us an important question. Over and over again, you are going to hear Christians talk about freedom. Specifically, they will talk about this freedom that we get to experience as a result of our faith. And they will word it like we have this freedom in Christ. So it's a kind of a big deal in Christian circles. We sing songs about it. People write books about it. Big companies like Lifeway, they do semester-long Bible studies about it. Like it's kind of always out there. It's always being talked about. It's this important thing in our faith. So my question is, what does it mean to be free? And how do we understand this freedom? So is the best way for us to understand this freedom as a world where there are no rules and we can just do whatever we want? Is that the way that we need to understand our freedom? I mean, I guess that's definitely one way to define freedom, but I don't know if that's right for our context today. I know that this is the kind of freedom that every teenager dreams about. I know that that was uh, the case for me when I was a teenager, right? Like, when will I finally be able to do what I want to do without mom and dad telling me no? You know, I mean, that's, what, that's definitely a, a sense of freedom. And, of course, every parent responds and says, you can enjoy that kind of freedom 
when you are out of our house and you're paying your own bills, right? But while you're living under our roof, it's our house, our rules. And uh, so there's definitely this idea that there's different kinds of freedom, so that kind of freedom can be experienced later in life. All right, or maybe do we need to understand freedom as true independence from authority? Like maybe a tyrannical government, for example. I mean, that's definitely how we as Americans like to define our freedom. We didn't want to be ruled by a king who was halfway around the world. So what did we do? We declared our independence. We said we wanted to be free, and we established our own government that was going to work for us, not for somebody halfway around the world. We said we want freedom from authority. But even though both of those can be definitions of freedom... I think that if we're honest, the reality is that neither of them are completely compatible with our faith. Like, would we as believers really desire a world with no rules, where we could just do whatever we want? Well, of course not, right? I mean, like, this is why we read the Bible. Like, we want to know what God's Word says so that we can live our lives according to it. Like, we want our lives to bring glory and honor to God, and the only way to do that is to to know what the instructions are, to know how to live. I mean, having God's Word is a blessing to kind of know, hey, this is what is expected of us. And would it be right for us as believers to be people who want independence from authority? Well, I would say no to that as well. I think that quite the opposite, um, as believers... We willingly submit to the authority of our Lord and Savior, right? So we don't reject authority. We embrace authority. So for us, it's not um, that definition of freedom either. So this morning, I want to put forward that when we as Christians talk about this freedom that we get to experience in Christ... This is the best way for us to understand it like this. And this is, by the way, the first thing we're going to affirm in our handout. So whether you're using the Bible app or whether you're on pen and paper, this is the first thing we're going to affirm this morning. How should we understand our freedom in Christ? As believers, we are free from the slavery of sin and from the debt of sin. As believers... We are free from the slavery of sin and from the debt of sin. And that is the kind of freedom that we are talking about. It's not a freedom from rules. It's not a freedom from authority. Rather, it is a freedom from the enslavement that sin brings us and from the debt that is owed as a result of a sinful life. And that is true freedom. Let me, got, let me remind y'all of the passage that Pastor uh, Brian taught us last week. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Uh, we're just going to read right through this, so pick up in verse 6 right there. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now listen to this, we're at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That is freedom from the slavery of sin and from the debt of sin. And guys, in our time together this morning, as we continue in our series, we are going to see that as a result of this freedom that we have in Christ, there are some things that we need to watch out for. And specifically in our passage this morning, Paul is writing to the Colossians and he gives them three warnings. He gives them three things that they need to be on the lookout for because they are free in Christ. So since they are free from the slavery of sin and from the debt of sin, they need to be watching out for these things things. So let's take a look at our passage. We're going to read the whole thing together. And then as soon as we kind of read our our section of scripture, we're actually going to go back and begin breaking it down so we can kind of discuss it. So let's pick up right there at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So like I said, there are three warnings that we're going to see in our passage today. And in verses 16 through 17, we actually see the first one. So let's look at verses 16 and 17 again. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And the first warning that we see from Paul is this. Since we are free in Christ, our focus shouldn't be on religious practices, but instead on Jesus. Since we are free in Christ, our focus shouldn't be on religious practices, but instead on on Jesus. All right, so at this point in history, there were these false teachers that were saying that there were certain things uh, that you had to do and certain things that you had to know in order to be right with God. Like knowing Jesus, like following Jesus apparently wasn't enough. And so specifically in in these verses, Paul is addressing some of these things that the false teachers were saying. Look at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. And so right here, he's talking about the dietary laws of the Old Testament. 
So these false teachers were saying that in order to be right before God, you still had to follow the old way of doing things. You still had to submit to these dietary laws and eat certain things and drink certain things, and you had to follow these laws that were written out in the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. And then in the rest of verse 16, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, this is a a reference to the religious calendar, which is also Uh, found in the Old Testament. So what we're seeing right here is not only are these false teachers telling the Colossians, hey, you got to eat certain things and drink certain things, but you got to do it according to a certain calendar. So like pay attention to special things like the Sabbath and new moons and festivals, because all of this stuff is going to gain you favor with God. That's the only way you can do it because Jesus isn't enough. That's what these false teachers were saying. But look at what verse 17 says. These are a shadow of the things that of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul is saying, don't let somebody judge your your spiritual life by these things. And why is that? Because it's not about these things. It's not about religious practices. It's not about dietary laws. It's not about religious calendars. These things were pointing to something much greater. They were pointing to Jesus. So don't focus on these things. You're wasting your time focusing on these things. These things were just a shadow of what was coming. The reality, however, was found in Christ. And guys, I recognize that many times it's easy to look at a verse like this and to think, what in the world does this verse have to do with me today like in 2018, right? Like I understand that we look at some verses and we think that one doesn't have a lot of value for me today. Um, and I get that in one, in one you know, um, example. Like, I understand that there are people who look at certain verses in Scripture and they feel that. Um, I mean, we definitely don't have anybody showing up here at the brook saying, you've got to eat this and drink this and follow this calendar. So we're not experiencing the same stuff that the Colossians are experiencing. But, guys, we absolutely have people in our time who judge each other based on their religious uh, practices. And sometimes it's not necessarily that they're judging others as much as they judge themselves and not in a negative way not like a oh poor me i'm not religious enough rather it's a oh look how spiritual i am it's like they're patting themselves on the back look at how good i am i have earned favor with god god owes me look at all the religious practices that i do they're proud of how well they play the religious game I mean, are you with me? I think we all understand. Like, we've met people like that who they believe that they're just super religious as a result of their practices. And guys, if we are not careful, we too can fall into the same line of thinking that somehow our religious practices will gain us favor with God. We think that God will love us more if we do certain things and that He'll love us less if we don't. We fall into this trap of thinking that we can somehow earn God's favor through our actions. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor in North Carolina, most of you probably are aware of who J.D. Greer is. He's an author, does big Bible studies, big conference speaker. Uh, he, He wrote a prayer for his church. It's called the Gospel Prayer. And this is what it says. In Christ, there is nothing I could do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that would make you love me less. You are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. 
And guys, I just love the way that this starts. I just, I really feel like he hits the nail on the head right here with the the first part of this. In Christ, there is nothing I could do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that would make you love me less. Man, what a powerful, powerful truth that we would do ourselves good if we would learn this and listen to this. Like, what a powerful statement, especially when we are being tempted to believe the lie that our religious practices can somehow earn us extra favor with God. Let's keep reading. Let's look at verses 18 through 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. The second warning from Paul is this. Since we are free in Christ, our focus shouldn't be on religious experiences, but instead on Jesus. Since we are free in Christ, our focus shouldn't be on religious experiences, but instead on Jesus. All right, so Paul begins this section by saying, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. And when he says that, he's actually referencing something earlier in his letter. And so I want us to read that right now. So let's jump back to Colossians chapter 1. Should just be like one turn of the page for you. Um, Or maybe one swipe up if you're on the Bible app. Um, And so we will uh, be at Colossians chapter 1. Let's start at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has uh, been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continuously ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And listen to this, we're at verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul is telling the Colossians, God is the one who qualified you. Therefore, don't let man try to tell you that you are not qualified. And so what are these false teachers doing to cause this issue? Well, basically, they're saying that the Colossians were not real Christians unless they had certain experiences. So it says that they delighted in false humility and the worship of angels. Now, depending on your translation right here, you might even see the word asceticism, which is basically when you treat your body harshly, you cause it pain, you deprive it of some of the things that it needs to survive. Like 
uh, food and water, and you do this for the sake of your religion. So whether these false teachers were beating their own bodies to cause pain and scars, or whether they were participating in extreme fasting, either way, they were doing it as a way to show their devotion to God. This made them feel more spiritual. Now, regarding this idea of worshiping angels, uh, truthfully, we don't really have a clear answer as to what in the world's going on right there. So uh, you look in the commentaries and different scholars kind of believe different things right there. Some scholars believe that uh, these false teachers were intentionally worshiping angels as like an expression of humility, basically saying, oh, well, we're going to try to appear more humble by worshiping these angels instead of God. Like, we don't think we're good enough to worship God, so we'll just worship the angels instead. That's what some scholars believe. Other scholars believe, no, it's quite the opposite. As a result of them uh, participating in stuff like extreme fasting, they just didn't have enough water and food in their system. And as a result, they're starting to go crazy in their mind. And so now this kind of explains how they're starting to have spiritual visions and they're feeling like they're in the presence of angels. And so either way, regardless of, of of, of whether this was intentional or not, these false teachers, they were pointing to their experiences, and that's what's key. They were pointing to their experiences as a way of judging these Colossians. And in our passage today, Paul is saying, man, don't let them judge you for this. He goes on to even say in the rest of, uh, in the rest of verses 18 and 19, such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. In other words, right here, Paul is saying that these false teachers, they are conceited. They think too highly of themselves when the reality is they have unspiritual minds and they are not even part of the body of Christ. Let's keep reading. Let's look at verses 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And the third warning that we see from Paul is this. Since we are free in Christ, our focus shouldn't be on religious rules, but instead on Jesus. Since we are free in Christ, our focus shouldn't be on religious rules, but instead on Jesus. All right, so at this point, Paul brings up something that has only happened once, like in all of human history. And I know that it's going to be difficult uh, for some of us to understand this because we've never experienced it. We don't even understand like what this would even look like in our time and in our day. Like if somebody even talked about this with us, we'd be like, what? Like that doesn't even make sense. But at this one time in human history, at this one moment, these religious leaders had man-made religious rules and they asked people to obey those. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding, guys. So listen, this is nothing new, okay? What Paul, what Paul is saying here is, guys, don't put up with this stuff, 
Like church, we should be encouraged. Legalism is not something new. Like the church has been wrestling with this for 2,000 years and probably even beyond that. But we're seeing it right here in this passage. Paul's telling the, telling the Colossians to watch out for this stuff. Like just like in our time, there's this temptation in the church to come up with extra religious rules and then to expect people and almost demand that people obey. And so... Uh, For thousands of years, guys, there have been people who have fallen victim to this life of legalism. And that's exactly what it is, okay? Whether they do it out of guilt or whether they just feel better about themselves as a result, um, either way, Paul is saying that legalism is not the answer. And he's telling the Colossians to keep their focus where it belongs and that it belongs on Jesus. That's where our focus should be. Look again at verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Paul is saying you died with Christ. You don't belong to this world anymore. Why do you still try to live as if you did? And to be clear, guys, Paul is not suggesting that the Colossians become rule breakers. He's not saying, hey, you don't have to follow any rules anymore. Like, there's still an expectation that they're going to follow the laws of the land and submit to the government. What he's talking about right here is these religious rules that incorrectly make people believe that they can earn special favor with God if they would just obey. And don't forget, guys, that at this time in history, religious rules were very important. The religious leaders, they carried a ton of weight in society. And in many respects, the church was the leading voice for the culture. I mean, it's definitely not like that today, but at this time in history, the church was a leading voice for the culture. So basically, these religious rules, they bled over into everyday life. They affected everybody in every way and in some shape or fashion. Like these religious rules kind of made their way into society. And Paul is saying, watch out for this. Look at verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Like you can even hear it in his voice. Like there's sarcasm there. He's mocking these religious rules that these false teachers are trying to make people follow. Verse 22. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Right here, Paul is saying that these religious rules, they have no biblical basis. Rather, they are completely man-made. And then I love how this passage ends. In the last verse, he hits at these false teachers one more time. Verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So in other words, Paul is saying right here, these false teachers might be able to fool some people, but they're not going to fool me and they shouldn't fool you either. What they are, are suggesting and what they are asking of you, it might have this appearance of wisdom. Like you might feel like you're doing something right by doing these things. But man, at the end of the day, this stuff has no real value. So this morning in our passage, guys, we've had the opportunity to see three warnings from Paul that he gave to the Colossians. And the good news is that we can apply these things to our lives as well. It is not Jesus plus religious practices. It's not Jesus plus religious experiences. It's not Jesus plus religious rules. As we have seen for this entire series so far, it's not Jesus plus anything is just Jesus. That's where our focus should be. 
As believers, guys, we are free in Christ and it is no longer about all these other things. Instead, it is only about Jesus and our focus should be on Him alone. We began our time this morning by talking about freedom. As we affirmed this morning in our first point, the best way for us to understand freedom is that we are free from the slavery of sin and from the debt of sin. And guys, the truth is, for many of you in this room, you have experienced the joy of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you know personally what it means to be free. You know what it means to be free from the slavery of sin and from the debt of sin. But for some of you, you've never experienced that freedom before. You're hearing this, and you've got questions, and you don't know what's going on. Um, Man, let me tell you, like we are so glad you are here today. You might be sitting there thinking, man, I know I haven't lived a perfect life, but I also don't know what to do about it. And that is okay. We are glad you are here and we want to start those conversations with you. In the simplest of explanations, here is the gospel message. Okay, God created all things, including mankind. And with a very short period of time, so within this very short time, mankind found a way to mess it up, right? We rebelled, we disobeyed, and as a result, sin entered the world. Now, the God that we serve is a God of justice. Like, He has to punish sin. There is no other option. Sin has to be punished. If God did not punish sin, He would no longer be just. He would no longer be righteous. He would no longer be holy. Like, it is a requirement that sin be punished. It has to be. But the good news is, guys, The God we serve is also a God of love. He has provided a way for people to be forgiven and to receive eternal life and to experience freedom. And so, about 2,000 years ago, you guys know the story. God's Son, Jesus, came to earth. He lived a perfect life in complete obedience to His heavenly Father. He took on our sins. He died the death that we deserve. He rose on the third day. And as a result, Scripture says that anyone who confesses Him as their Lord and Savior, they will be forgiven of their sins and they will receive eternal life. In that moment, they are free. They are free from the slavery of sin and they are free from the debt of sin. And guys, listen, if you are an unbeliever in this room, today you can experience freedom. You can understand what it means to be free. Let me give you a simple analogy to help you understand this a little more clearly. Let's just say that when you leave today, like you need some groceries. So you hop in your car, you start driving down the road, you get over there next to Publix, you pull into the parking lot, you grab a buggy, because they're called buggies in the South, right? They're not carts, they're buggies. So you grab your buggy, you're going down the aisle, you grab your items, you get the stuff like Hot Pockets. I get made fun of for eating Hot Pockets, but you grab, you grab all the good stuff, right? So you put it in your, your shopping cart, buggy, whatever. So you make your way through, you get all the way up to the front, you wait in line. It's finally your turn to put stuff on the conveyor belt. So one by one, you're putting it on and they're scanning it. One by one, every item is getting rung up. Finally, you kind of make your way in front of the little checkout thing. They tell you your total. You open up your wallet or you take out your purse, whatever. You pull out your Discover card because you're like, hey, I want to earn some cash back. So what do you do? You swipe your Discover card. You sign for your items. The receipt prints. They hand you the receipt. They hand you your items. You put it back in your shopping cart and you walk out the door. 
Now, let me ask you, why in the world did they let you leave? Why? Have you paid for these items? Have you? You have not paid for those items. Discover card paid for those items, and you now owe a debt. And until you make things right with Discover, that is your situation. The reality is that the items have been paid for in full, but not by you. So you're allowed to leave. Like you leave the store and the security guard doesn't tackle you. But the problem is you now have a debt. And you, until you make things right with Discover, like that debt remains. And guys, the reality is from a spiritual standpoint, this is our situation. Jesus Christ died and he paid for the sins of the entire world. Like the sins of the world have been paid for in full. But until you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you owe a debt. And guys, to be clear, there are two ways that your sins can be paid for, okay? Option number one, you can pay for your sins. Now, the unfortunate reality is the amount that you owe is so large that you never finish paying it off. That's why hell is for eternity, right? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. You've earned it. You can pay for it. The sad reality, though, is you never finish paying it off. The amount you owe is so large. You never finish paying it off. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that pick this option. They decide, I'm just going to take care of it myself. Or option two is you can confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you can let what he accomplished on the cross for you be the payment for your sin debt And you can experience freedom. In that moment, you can know with full confidence that your sins have been paid for in full if you would just confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And here's how you can have that confidence. You can have that confidence because Jesus rose from the grave. Think about this with me for a second, okay? So the the penalty for sin is death, right? That's That's the price that has to be paid as a result of sin. So if Jesus had remained dead that would mean that he is still paying the price. That's what it would mean. But Jesus rose from the grave, which means that the payment has been made in full. And you can have complete confidence that if you confess him as your Lord and Savior, that your debt has been erased and you can be somebody who knows what it means to be free, free from the slavery of sin and free from the debt of sin. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. What, what a beautiful truth that is for us, guys. So listen, at this time, the band is going to come forward and they're going to lead us in song. Listen, if you're an unbeliever this morning and you want to talk to somebody about what it means to be free, maybe you are hearing these words today and you're like, man, I've got some questions and I want to talk to somebody. Man, listen, we would love the opportunity to start that conversation with you. As soon as the service is over, I'll be down front. 
I know the other pastors and elders will be as well, and we would love to begin those conversations with you. promise we're not going to do any arm twisting. We just want to start a conversation with you, and so we would love the chance to begin that conversation today. If you're a believer, maybe today God's Word has spoken to you, and you just want to spend some time in prayer. Man, that's great. As soon as the band begins to play, you can do that from your seat. You can come over here to the steps of the stage. You can go to the cross. However the Lord uh, leads you to respond, that's what we want you to do in this moment. Guys, thank you all for giving me the opportunity to share God's Word with you today. It has been a pleasure. Uh, grateful for the opportunity to be one of your pastors. Let's, uh, let's respond to God's Word at this time. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.